How many of you remember the sermon that I preached last week? Raise your hand, would you? That's about what I thought, about 10%. It was the sermon I talked about my stomach cramps. You remember it now? And the cauliflower and how I went online and I did some research to try to figure out what was wrong with my stomach. And I determined that if you eat too much cauliflower and broccoli and coleslaw at the same time, it can really mess you up. And so, as I said last week, I changed my cauliflower for cookies, and I haven't had a problem ever since, right? So that was the sermon. Well, during the week, I received a text message from a good friend of mine. She works at MD Anderson. She has a tremendous job, really good job in the medical profession there. And she and her husband and their kids, faithful members of our church, and she was very kind about the sermon. But she put one thing in her text that I'm trying to figure out how to interpret this or what she meant. I want to put it on the screen, see if you can help me make sense of this. Please don't confuse your internet search with my nursing degree. Now, I don't know what you might have meant by that. And then she said to me, John, not only have you insulted the medical community by telling just to go online and get all their questions answered, my kids now refuse to eat cauliflower saying, John told us it's not good for us. So anyway, I messed everything up last week. But that was last week's sermon. Now, that was last Sunday. So on Monday, I was home, and I was thinking about today, these next 30 minutes that we're going to spend together. And not not only was I thinking about it, I was praying. And I said, now, God, we're not in a series. We finished a long study of Revelation, and it was great, and you blessed it. A lot of people got saved during that. But we're just kind of doing independent, standalone sermons right now. So what would you have me to talk about next Sunday morning? And I was just, I had one idea after another. And to be honest with you, I started thinking about the sermon that I had preached last week. Not just the cauliflower part of that sermon, by the way. There was more to the sermon than that. If you were here last week, you remember that we studied a passage in 2 Kings where three kings joined together to go to Moab to fight against the Moabites. And as they were traveling to Moab, they were going through the desert, and they came to a really dry place in the desert. And so they thought, if we don't find some water, we're going to die. We've got to have water to live. Our animals have got to have water to live. This is a panic-type situation. And so they went to Elisha, the man of God, and they told him the situation. And they said, Elisha, what should we do in the absence of water? So Elisha took some time. He prayed. He got a word from God. And then he told them what God had told him to say. He said, here's the bottom line. God is going to send water in your desert. He is. But before he does that, you've got to dig some ditches first. And if you will, by faith, dig some ditches, then God will send the water. And so they dug the ditches, and miraculously, supernaturally, mysteriously, God sent water, not through wind and rain. He did it a totally different way. They dug the ditches, and God sent the water. And so last week we were talking about that, about the importance of digging ditches in our lives. And, and the application of that is endless. For example, today there may be people here, and there probably are, and you would say, John, at this time in my life, our family is in a financial desert. We just, we're just really struggling to make ends meet. And for many in that boat, you have a good job, you've got money coming in, And you're trying to figure out, how could we have money coming in and not being able to make ends meet? Well, sometimes when you get in a situation like that, you have to dig a ditch. You have to make a budget. 
And you have to say, we're going to try to live within this budget. We're going to try to live below our means. We're not going to put ourselves in excessive debt, buying things and putting everything on credit cards and that we can't afford. And so we have to dig a financial ditch sometime. And when we do that, God will send the water. The water, by the way, represents the provision of God, the blessing of God, the healing of God, the goodness of God. The, just represents God himself. Sometimes we get in a, in a relationship ditch, maybe within our families or maybe a coworker, or maybe a friend, and, and all of a sudden where there once was peace and harmony and love and everything was great, now there's tension and conflict and strife. And, and so we think, well, man, what, what do I need to do? Well, we have to dig a ditch. And in the relationship ditch, many times when we get in a desert in the relationship area, what do we have to do? We have to go to somebody and apologize for maybe being rude or maybe being selfish and ask them to forgive us. And, and sometimes they apologize to us, and so we have to forgive them, and we have to extend kindness, and we have to extend love, and we can't hold grudges, and we can't be mad, and, and we have to walk in, in the fruit of the Spirit like that. And so we just dig a ditch. And when we begin to dig that ditch, you see, when we dig a ditch in any area of our lives, what are we doing? We're doing our part. We're being responsible, and then God supernaturally will send the water to meet the need. But as I said last week, have you noticed in the Bible and in your life that while God will always do what only He can do, God will never do what He expects you to do. And the example I gave last week from the Bible, when Jesus went to Lazarus' grave, there was Lazarus dead, buried in the grave. Jesus went to that place to bring Lazarus from death to life. Only Jesus could raise a dead person back to life again, right? But before he did that, he said to his disciples, roll the stone away. Now, why did he say that? It seems like to me, if Jesus was going to bring a dead man back to life, he could have just, you know, easily rolled the stone away himself. But he didn't roll the stone away. Why? Because he knew that was something they could do. And he expected them to do what they could do so that he in turn would do what only he could do. So the, the, the application of this is endless. And so last Monday morning, I'm home. I'm thinking about today's sermon. God, we're not in a series. It's independent sermons. I just kind of preach whatever's in my heart. This is a much easier way to preach for me. And I thought, what what should the sermon be on? And I couldn't stop thinking about this whole idea of digging ditches. And I thought, but I already preached a sermon on digging ditches. And about that time, another biblical analogy came to my mind. It's the analogy from the Old Testament about how when God led the children of Israel through the wilderness into the promised land so that the people would know which way they were supposed to go, he sent a special cloud, and the cloud was what they were to follow. Whenever the cloud moved from here to there, they were supposed to follow the cloud. If the cloud stopped, They were supposed to stop. And at night, that cloud turned into a pillar of fire. So the people could always know, where does God want us to be? The cloud represented God's presence. I may come back next week. I don't know. I'll have to pray about this tomorrow. I may preach a sermon next week about the cloud and following the cloud. And what does that mean in our life? And and they could see that cloud. We can't really see a cloud. How, How does God lead us today? It might be an interesting sermon. We'll just see. But in my heart, I thought, God, I feel like the cloud of your presence and your will is resting on this whole sermon of digging ditches. And I don't know how I'm going to preach the same sermon twice because I don't want to re-preach anything I did last week, but how in the world could I take that same idea of digging ditches 
and preach sermon number two on the same topic. Now, before we get into that, open your Bible, if you would, to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. And in chapter number 9, we find that the children of Israel are out in the middle of the desert, and God is leading them. But I want you to see this part about the cloud. Whether I preach on it next week or not, at least you can get this much today. In Numbers chapter 9, in verse 15, the Bible says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up or lifted up. In other words, Moses had built a tabernacle out there in the desert for the people to worship God in. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now watch verse 17. Whenever the cloud was taken up or lifted up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled... There the children of Israel would pitch their tents. You know, in our lives, we need, as we try to discern God's will, we need to try to, to figure out where the cloud is. Is the cloud leading us somewhere new? Or has the cloud settled in and telling us to remain where we are? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. For me, even in the preaching part of my life, when I'm up here preaching, I want to be under the cloud. I want to be preaching under the presence of God. I want to be preaching in the will of God, preaching about what God's Spirit wants me to preach. And I felt last Monday morning that God was saying to me, John, this whole idea of digging ditches, doing your part, being responsible, the cloud has settled in right there. And so you go out there next week and talk about it again. And so that's what I'm about to do. Now, as I thought about that, as the week went on, I want our emphasis today to be specifically on digging some prayer ditches, some prayer ditches. All of us in our lives, see, I believe this, and I know you do too, and the Bible teaches us, that God wants to send some fresh water into our lives and into our families, and into our relationships, and even into our physical health. God wants to send some fresh water into our church, and into our community, and into our nation, and into our world. God wants to send some water, but we have to dig some ditches. The one statement that I got home last Sunday, and I thought I should have made the statement just that plain, so I want to say this today, because I think it's been implied, but I want to say this today to those here and to those listening at home who would say, John, I am in a desert of some kind. Here is the Word of God for you today. In your desert, there is water. You believe that? Say amen. In your desert, there's water. You have to know that. That is God's provision, but you've got to dig some ditches. Now, turn to the right in your Bible, several books, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets and a fascinating book. I want us to look at one verse in chapter number 22 as we think about digging some prayer ditches. And today, I'm going to make a challenge. I'll say it now and come back to it at the end. I'm going to challenge you beginning tomorrow, unless you're already doing this, to somehow, some way, carve into your daily schedule 30 minutes where you can pray. And I'm going to give you some things specifically today that we can all pray about 30 minutes a day so that that will be the, the prayer ditch and the time that you dig that ditch every day. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God is speaking. Now, God's in heaven, of course. And God's looking down on earth at the people of Israel, his people. And he sees sin, rebellion, rebellion. They're not walking with him. 
They're committing spiritual adultery, bad situation. But God did not want to judge the people. God wanted to bless the people. God wanted to do something good, but he knew he couldn't bless sin. So look what he, in verse 30. God said, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God says, I'm looking down from heaven on my people. I see all the things that are wrong. I know that eventually I must judge and punish sin, but I don't want to do that. These are my people. I love my people. I want to bless them. But somebody needs to stand in the gap and pray for them and intercede for my forgiveness. And then I can forgive them. And then I could bless them. But God said, I didn't find anybody. I didn't find anybody who would stand in the gap. And so today, I want us to take this challenge to stand in the gap for some areas I'm going to mention today and other areas certainly that God will bring into your mind. And if we will stand in the gap, I believe if we will dig the ditch that God will send the water and that God will meet every need in our lives. Now, I want to mention four different areas today that we need to be praying for. And I'm sure many of us are. Maybe you're praying for all these areas already, or maybe you're not. But I would encourage you one way or the other, let's try to work these areas into our prayer life. Number one, and all four of these words, by the way, begin, begin with the letter D to make it easy for us to remember. First of all, I would encourage you to pray for the disasters that are happening in the world today. Now, you don't need me to tell you. You have a television and you see what's happening, but we are living in a time of unprecedented natural disasters. And the Bible teaches that as we come to the end of the age, as we get closer to that time when Jesus is going to come back and we're going to be taken out of here to heaven, that natural disasters will increase in frequency and in uh, intensity. In fact, if you'll turn, uh, let me just read it to you out of Matthew chapter 24. Let me just read this. In chapter number 24 of Matthew in verse number 7, Jesus said, here's how you can know that the world is coming to an end. Listen to this. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and there will be earthquakes in various places. And we saw yesterday morning in Haiti an earthquake 7.2 on the Richter scale. And he said, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. And so when you see these things happen, you know that God is speaking. I want to say this. God doesn't cause the natural disasters. The natural disasters happen for a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons that, it ha that they happen is because the earth on which we live is unsteady. It is unstable. And just like you and I are longing and yearning for the return of Jesus Christ so we can be taken out of a sinful world, taken into heaven to be with God in our new bodies, just like we long for that, the earth is groaning for that too. Read in Romans chapter 8 that the earth groans. And when the earth groans, there's an earthquake. Every time there's an earthquake, the earth is just groaning. And the earth is saying, something's not right. This is not the way God meant for it to be. And so we need to pray that when a natural disaster happens, that our minds and other people's minds would immediately begin to think the Bible. The Bible said there will be disasters, and that's a warning to us that we're living at the end of time. Now, I'm going to show you six pictures here about some recent uh, 
disasters. You've seen all this on television. That was a, that's a map, of course, of North America, and that's about two weeks old. But notice all the fires in the western part of the United States. Notice all the fires in Canada. Now, that's a view taken from above. So we could say it this way. When God looks down on the earth from heaven, that's what God sees. God sees much of America currently on fire. God sees much of Canada currently on fire. And God also sees a lot of people like you and me who are just living our lives as, no, as though nothing unusual is happening. Well, this is, this is quite unusual. The next picture is the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And thankfully, the bridge is not on fire. I'm not sure that the that the concrete bridge could burn, but you can see the smoke and you can see the, the colors from the fire behind that. The next one is Oregon, and we've seen on the news that Oregon right now may be having more uh, fires than any other state uh, in the nation. The next one is more in the middle part of the country. I believe this came from Colorado, and you've heard about the mudslides that have been happening. I heard about one, I think this may be the one, but recently in Colorado there was a mudslide, and the mud went down onto this road, and it just covered people's cars. And for over 20 hours, these people were trapped in their cars because the mud, because the mudslide. Now, now, what is that? It, it is the earth groaning and saying something's unsettled, something's not right. Now, the next one gets us out of the United States and takes us into Europe. And in Europe now, they are experiencing floods like they've never known before. Just that village there completely decimated by the flood. And the nation Greece, if you've ever traveled to Greece, you know it's one of the most beautiful nations on the planet. But they're having fires there like they have never had before. And so what I'm saying, as we turn our news on and as we pray, you know, I heard Billy Graham, when he got older in life and he couldn't preach or do anything like he used to do, he would watch the news a lot during the day and he would use the news as something to help him to pray because he basically was praying for world events. All these things I've mentioned today, if Dr. Graham were still living, he would be praying for all that, those. And so we need to pray, God, first of all, all these people who are experiencing this, be merciful to them. Stop the fires and stop the floods. But God, while it's happening, speak to help us to know that through nature you're speaking and you're telling us that we're living in unprecedented times and we're living in in the end times now second thing we need to pray for not only disasters we need to pray for this disease COVID-19 now as my dad mentioned in the in his part of the service a little bit earlier we are all weary of even hearing about the coronavirus. Everybody's tired of talking about it. I'm tired of hearing. We've been listening to this on the news, and, and it's dominated much life for the last year and a half. But friend, I want to say this, and we're seeing this now with the Delta variant. If you saw on the news the other night, a child was taken to the ICU or to the, one of the hospitals in Houston. ICU beds full. Kid had to be helicoptered to an East Texas hospital. I saw on the news the other night, a county official in Dallas said every single one of our Children's ICU beds are full, and what that means to all the parents in Dallas, if your child has an emergency of any kind, involved in a car accident, gets COVID, anything that happens, and you bring them to a ho any hospital in Dallas, they will have to wait in the waiting room until one of the beds frees up. And so, as we think about COVID, it's something we're all sick of. We're all tired of hearing about it and talking about it. But friend, think about this. Just because we're tired of talking about it doesn't mean it's gone away. We have members today 
some of them home, others in hospitals, faithful members of our church who have gotten COVID and who are in a serious, serious condition, breathing. I was in my doctor's office a few weeks ago, my Pasadena doctor, and we were just talking. He said, John, I've lost, lost over 50 patients already from COVID. I have another friend who was in that same doctor's office this past week. And the doctor said with the Delta variant, what he's noticing is when the people go to the emergency room now or the hospital, if they get on a ventilator, many of them are dying much quicker because of what's it. So we're all tired of it, but it's still out there and it's been going on so long. I wonder now, have we stopped praying for God to heal the virus? Now, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, here's how you're going to know you're coming to the end. There are going to be famines and wars and all these uprisings, and there's going to be earthquakes, but there's also going to be pestilences. What does it mean? It means plagues. I see all these students over here today. And I, when, I, when I see you guys, and, and we're all so glad that you're here today, and Austin and Adam have done just doing a tremendous job rallying the troops and, and getting all of y'all here today. Are y'all still awake, by the way, students? Are you still awake? Okay, just making sure. Years ago at Breaking Free, uh, they, were, they brought in a speaker, a really good speaker. He came in multiple times. Austin knew him well, a guy named Wade Morris. Wade is one of the greatest youth communicators that I've ever heard. And our, he was loved by our people. Say, tell you something interesting about Wade. He was known as the barefoot preacher. Because when he would preach, he didn't wear shoes. He was barefoot. And the reason was he took that passage out of Exodus 3 where God said to Moses, take your feet off, you're standing on holy ground. And he said to me, there's nothing more holy than preaching. So he's a barefoot preacher. And this summer, he's been preaching all over the nation at these different youth camps. And in July, he was in Ardmore, Oklahoma, preaching at Falls Creek, a huge, huge youth camp. And on July the 10th, which was the last night of the camp, he had a picture taken him, Senator James Langford from the great state of Oklahoma. I actually went to seminary with James Langford and with Wade Morris. I didn't know them when we were going through school together, but we're all the same age, and before James Langford went into politics. He was, he was a minister. And so it's a very interesting story. But he gets his picture made with him, and they had a great Falls Creek, and a lot of kids got saved. And he had posted that or put that on his Twitter page. This many people got saved. It was really great. Gets back to Birmingham where he and his wife and his kids live. Starts feeling bad. What's happening? I don't know what it is. Ends up going to the emergency room. Ends up being admitted. Ends up getting put on a ventilator. Ends up developing blood clots. Ends up dying. 51 years old, healthy as any human being I've ever known in my life. He got COVID and he died. This man had run 20-something marathons in his life. And so when I read that, the last tweet, you ought to go home today and look at Wade Morris' Twitter. Read his last tweet. It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's sacred and holy now. There he is preaching to all these students. But what I'm saying is it's not over, and we need to pray that God, who is not only our Savior, but God, who is our healer, Jehovah Rapha, that he from heaven would speak the word and that this plague would be gone from the planet. That's what we need to be praying for. And we need to pray for people who are sick, that God would heal their bodies. We need to pray the rest of us, that we would stay healthy. But we need to pray for the disease. The third thing we need to pray for, and I think we'll all agree with this, we need to pray for the division in our country. We are a divided country at this time. 
I was reading, and it's quite concerning to me, by the way. I was reading in Matthew chapter 12 the other night before I went to bed, and Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That's what Jesus said. A kingdom divided against itself, a house divided against itself, cannot, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. Now, in my lifetime, and I know from history, there have been other times in American history where we've been more divided. The country was more divided during the Civil War than we are now. So it's been worse. We were more divided probably during the 1960s than we are now. I'm just saying in my lifetime, we are more divided than we have ever been. And there's so much anger. That, I think the thing that concerns me now is there just seems to be anger, unprecedented anger. And if somebody disagrees with somebody else, whereas used to, we could disagree with each other without coming at each other. And as I was preparing this part of the sermon, I felt like God gave me a, a, a statement that I want to make today. And I know that you believe it. I mean, it's, if you believe the Bible, you have to believe this. But this may be the most important thing that anybody could say when it comes to the state of our country right now. We as Americans, and, and, and remember this, we are Americans, and so I'm not preaching today to the whole world. I'm preaching to us, but it's got to start somewhere, so why not here? We've got to figure out a way to disagree with each other without hating each other. I mean, we do. I mean, God says that the way the world is going to know that we belong to him is that we have love for each other. You know, sometimes I see things on the news, and I see something that somebody's doing, and I just think to myself, that's nuts. I mean, that is just so crazy. That, that's not rational. That doesn't make sense. And I say to myself, I disagree with that. Well, you know what? That's okay. We have the right to disagree. But just because I disagree with somebody, that doesn't give me the right to hate somebody. And that's true in our personal lives, and it's true as a nation. So let's pray that God would bring healing and that God would bring unity and that even with people that we might disagree with, that we might disagree with, we could still walk in love and say, you know, they have their opinion. Honestly, I think they're, they're, you know, they're, out to, they're out to lunch on that one. I don't think they're, they're a little bit wrong. But you know what? That doesn't give me an excuse to hate them. I'm supposed to love them, and I'm supposed to walk in love. And then I would encourage you also, we're praying for disasters, diseases, and we're praying for the division in our country that we would have our opinions and have our convictions and always to stand on the teachings of Scripture. But remember, part of the teachings of Scripture is that we're supposed to love and also that we would pray for the details of our lives. You know, every one of us here today, in addition to what I've mentioned nationally and globally and medically and all this, we all have our own lives. We have our families. We have things going on in our lives and we need to be in prayer that God, you know, that God would intervene and that God would move and that God would restore and that God would heal and that God would give wisdom and direction for whatever decisions we're facing. And I'm encouraging you, beginning tomorrow, if you don't do it already, to set aside 30 minutes a day. You say, John, 30 minutes is a long time. On the one hand, it is a long time. On the other hand, it's one sitcom. That's what 30 minutes amounts to. It's one show. To get in the presence of God. And I've given you a four-point outline here. Either use that or make your own. Or some days, you know, we just sit before the Lord and we're just silent. But we're in His presence and we're listening. And we're praying for His involvement in our lives and in our families. And what are we doing? We're digging a ditch. We're under the cloud. That is, we're, un we're in God's will as best as we can be in God's will. We're digging a ditch 
We're doing our part. We're waiting for God to send the water. Now, last week as I was thinking about this, I had a strange thought run through my mind. I want to tell you this, then we'll stop today. Stop a little bit early today. I, uh, and all the people said, amen, right? Stop a little bit early. I was thinking about God, and I was thinking about my four grandparents. All my grandparents are in heaven today. And for some reason, I started thinking about my granddad on my mom's side. My maternal grandfather, named, we called him Pop. His name was Otis Webb. And I got to thinking, I don't know how everything is in heaven. You know, people always ask, when you get to heaven, do you know what's happening on the earth? My, understand, my answer to that question, my understanding of the Bible is, you would never know anything bad that happened on earth because that would make you sad. And in heaven, there's not going to be any sadness. But I can't help but believe that when something good happens on earth, that God doesn't let our family members who are already in heaven know about it. And so I got to play in my, you ever do this like with your sanctified imagination? I got thinking about heaven, and I got thinking about pop, and I got thinking about God. And I thought, I wonder what would happen today if pop walked up to God and said, God, I'm just curious, where's old John? How's he doing down there on earth now? What would God say to pop? Well, certainly he would say, well, Otis, I'll, I'll tell you about John. He, he's still down there. He's still down there in Pasadena. Still in Pasadena. He's been there a long time. God, yes, he has. He, that's what the people all think. He's been there a long time. He's still there, still at First Baptist, still preaching. Really? God said, yes, yes, I hear him every week. Last week he started talking about cauliflower and stomach cramps. I don't know where he goes. It's not even in the Bible. I don't know. I wish he would stick to the Bible. Well, how's he doing? How's he doing, God? Well, now. As far as what God would say to my granddad about how I'm doing, I don't know the answer to that question. I'll have to wait until I stand before Jesus at judgment, and then at that time he can give his appraisal of my life, and he will, and of yours when it's your turn. But as I got thinking about this imaginary conversation between Pop and God, and I got thinking about all these images in my mind, the cloud, God's will, the ditches doing our part, the water, God's provision, just kind of playing this out. I would hope that God could have said to Pop last week when Pop said, God, not necessarily where is John, but how's he doing and what's he doing? I would give anything if God would have said, well, Otis, I'll tell you. He's down there in Pasadena. He's under the cloud. He's in my will for his life. He's digging some ditches, especially some prayer ditches. And as he digs those ditches, he is anticipating an abundance of water. My goodness, my refreshment, my spirit. But while he waits on the water, he is learning to be satisfied with my presence and to be trusting in my plan. In fact, I want to put that on the screen, and you might want to take a picture of that or look at that. Here's when God looks down from heaven. Yes, he sees the fires. Yes, he sees the flood. Yes, he sees the division. Yes, he sees the disease. God sees it all. But when God looks at you and when God looks at me, just looking, you know, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may find one whose heart is loyal to him. I want God, when he looks my way, to be able to find me, watch this, under the cloud, digging some ditches, 
anticipating an abundance of water. And in the meantime, see, while we, while we wait on the financial waters to come, while we wait on the job, while we wait on the relationship to be restored, while we wait on the disease to be healed, while we wait on the problem to be solved, while we wait on whatever it is we're waiting on, let me ask you today, how many of you right now are praying about something and you're waiting on the answer? Just raise your hand. That's most everybody here. We're waiting. What are we doing while we're digging some ditches? We're praying, but we're waiting. But listen, while we're waiting, shouldn't we be satisfied with the presence of God in our life? I mean, isn't Jesus the living water? You say, John, I'm in the desert, and I need divine intervention. Well, I understand that. We've all been in the desert needing divine intervention. But remember this, in your desert, you already have the living water of Jesus Christ in your heart. Satisfied with his presence, trusting in his plan, saying, God, I know at the right time and the right way the water will come, but until it does, I'm going to be satisfied with you. Amen. Father, I thank you today that in the Bible you give us these analogies about clouds and and ditches and water so that we can understand, so that we can see it in in our mind. And so that we can meditate on these analogies as we go through the day. With your head bowed and eyes closed. As best as you know God's will for your life, are you under the cloud? Are you under the cloud? If I come back, I don't know if I will or not, but if I come back next week and preach on the cloud, one of the things I want to say is the cloud will never lead you where the Word of God prevents you from going. Are you under the cloud? If not, use these moments now to talk to God, to do business with God, to confess sin, to ask God to lead you in the right way so that you would be following that cloud, that you would be under that cloud. How about this? Are you digging any prayer ditches in your life? anticipating a a miraculous intervention from God? Would you be willing to make a commitment? I tell you what, you know, sometimes we talk about making a commitment. We think, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? How about this? Would you be willing to make a commitment that beginning tomorrow through next Saturday, it's a six-day commitment, that you would say, God, I I don't know if I can do this forever. I, I don't know about that. But I will make a commitment for six days to pray 30 minutes a day. For what John's talked about today or for whatever else that comes to my heart. I'll make a six-day commitment. If you'll do that, that means between now and the time you come back in here next Sunday, you will have prayed three hours. You'll have dug some serious prayer ditches in three hours. And God will honor that. And God, once you do what you can do, will begin to do what only He can do. Restore, heal, provide. Lift that burden. Take away that fear. Answer that question. Meet that need. If you'll dig the ditch, he'll send the water. I believe people are taking that six-day challenge right now. Others here today would say, John, you know what? I'm in a desert, but that thing about having the living water in me, I don't believe I have that. I, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I have received Jesus Christ to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I'm not sure that I'm saved. 
We saw one saved in the early hour this morning. I believe in this service. Maybe our students. Look at We've got a, a section full of students today. I wonder, you students, have you been saved? Do you know for sure that Jesus is in your heart? And for the rest of us, do we know beyond the shadow of any doubt that, that our sins have been forgiven and that Christ has taken up residence in our lives? And those watching at home today, the same question for you. If you're not sure that you're saved, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this prayer all over this room. You can pray this prayer in the privacy of your home. And God will answer it and He will save you right now. Just pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. Friend, if you have prayed that prayer, God has heard it. God has answered it. Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart. Your sins are forgiven. They're gone. They're out of the way now. And today is your spiritual birthday. You're like a newborn baby. You're all tomorrows and no yesterdays. And I believe people in this room have prayed that prayer today. Your next step is to confess Christ openly and publicly. Jesus said if we'll do that on earth, one day he'll confess us before the Father in heaven and before the angels.